Hey, I told you to move the beans. All you have to do is move it. Move the beans. Hey, move the beans. M-O-V-E. This is the Move the Beans podcast. Stories of ordinary habits that have extraordinary results. Here's your host, Dan Abatacola. Hey, hey, thanks for tuning in to the Move the Beans podcast, stories of ordinary habits that have extraordinary results. You guys know the spiel by now, right? But we're actually going to raise the bar for this episode. Not only do we want to see extraordinary results, but we also are hoping for a miracle, especially in the lives of some young ladies. You see, we have two guests today for the podcast episode. Our first guest is Cassandra Ma. She's the founder and director of Reclaim 13 a not-for-profit organization dedicated to the plight of sexually abused and exploited children. Reclaim 13 works to prevent abuse and exploitation and bring healing to survivors through a mentor program and a facility of theirs called Cherish House. Along with Cassandra, she brought her administrative director of Cherish House, Janelle Blackburn, and they're going to share some habits that they implement on a daily basis personally that helps them not only run Cherish House, but also run the organization in such a way that they not only see extraordinary results, but they see miracles played out in the lives of these young ladies that are rescued out of exploitation. So I hope that you listen all the way through to the end of the podcast. There's going to be a point where we can take some action and help in the lives and see miracles in the lives of these young ladies. So listen all the way through. And it's really our hope that we all play a part in what God is doing through this organization and helping out these young people. So give it a listen. I know you're going to enjoy it and really be informed with an issue that is going on in our culture that we need to understand and take action upon. So here's the podcast episode number 13. Hey, we are live in the Move the Beans podcast. Uh, So thankful that you are listening. And we have uh, two guests in our studio today. We actually broken the one guest barrier and we've broken the all male guest barrier. So ladies, thank you for being here. Our guests today are uh, Cassandra Ma and she is the uh, director and founder of an organization called Reclaim 13. We'll let her uh, talk about that in a little bit. And then also uh, Janelle Blackburn, who is the administrator for Cherish House, uh, also under the umbrella of Reclaim 13. And so thank you for being here, ladies. Thank you. Yeah, this is this is going to be great uh, because I feel that you have a really just a great organization and uh, just information that people who are kind of busy just kind of going through life, dropping kids off at soccer practice and, and school and in the Western Burbs, uh, just I think life can be busy and we don't understand that there is a whole other world out there. And I think you're going to really open some eyes uh, to a lot of people to see what's really going on. Um, not only in our community, but all over the world. And so, um, so Cassandra, why don't you kind of give us a, just a, a overview of what Reclaim 13 is and what you've been doing for the last bunch of years. So thank you. Reclaim 13, um, we're about seven years old. We work with victims of sexual exploitation or trafficking. Most of the individuals that we work with who are survivors are children. And so we work with children in a say in our safe house, which is called Cherish House, which is where Janelle works, and help these kids heal from the experiences of being trafficked. Mm. Okay, and then Janelle, you are the administrator of Cherish House. Correct. Okay, yeah. so w- what is that? 
what does that do or what is that entitled? Um, what do you do? Yeah, yeah. that title <laughs> has many hats, but mostly I work alongside and supervise um, the staff, okay. our awesome staff that work there. Just kind of oversee the program, the programming to make sure that we're helping the girls the best that we can. So. Okay. And explain the name of the organization, the whole, the number behind it and everything. So, yeah, that's, that's a great question. So, 13 is um, when we first started that with that name, um, 13 is the average age when children are first drawn into trafficking. Mm. And one of the things that we found with our kids that we've worked with, with the exception of one and now two kids that we worked with thus far, all of our kids were trafficked prior to the age of 13. So, that number holds very true to us in terms of just that that vulnerability point where children, we're talking about young children who are just probably in junior high, being drawn into something that they have just, it's just a horrific world. Mm. Um, so reclaiming is, is we say, our call to action. It's really about what can we do to help these children to reclaim something that's been taken away from them. A lot of our kids will say to us that they they feel like they never had a childhood, not only because of the trafficking, but prior abuse that happened. And so for for us to be able to help these kids to take back from the, for them the lives and the childhoods um, is, is really important. Mm. Now, uh, Cassandra and I, our paths crossed a couple years ago, right? Mm-hmm. It, uh, so. it was a conference at the College of DuPage here mm-hmm. locally in Chicago and area. This, this is how scary this sounds. I was the voice of Christianity. It was like an interfaith. <laughs> yes. It was an interfaith uh, conference about human trafficking. And there was a um, gentleman on video, I think. He was uh, the Hindu representative. Yep. And then there was a someone from uh, Islam, mm-hmm. uh, a woman from Judaism, and then I was Christianity. And then I was last uh, on purpose. I actually told the gal who was running the conference, I said, I don't care. She's like, do you have a problem with everyone being in the same kind of panel and all the different faces? I said, no, I don't I have no problem with that. Just make me last. Because hmm. I wanted the gospel to be ended. Interesting. Yeah. So then, And then you came on right after me. I don't know if you remember, but... I remember it vividly because it was such a apparent uh, difference between the life-giving uh, change that the gospel has yeah. and then what the others talked about. And I we had a little question and answer time with the students that were there. And I don't know if you remember, but I had questions and you had questions posed to you. Mm-hmm. And that was about it. Mm-hmm. It was it was so apparent that like everyone else was like really, I was kind of confused at what everyone else was talking about. And basically when, when you throw this problem, and then look at it through the lens of the gospel. Mm -hmm. And I I think kind of my summary statement was God values, the God of the Bible values uh, life from conception all the way through death. And even if you believe in the gospel in Christ, even life eternal. Absolutely. Yeah. And so that was, I thought that was a really powerful thing that we kind of had in common. I think we were kind of making eye contact back and forth going, okay, we're connecting with each other. And I think that was really a powerful moment in that conference because I think it made a difference in the way, because I think there was a ton of students that were probably unbelievers, right? but they made a connection with your organization and what it was doing and really the power in the gospel. And I think that was really evident in that. If you remember anything. I, I absolutely do remember. And I, I totally agree with you. There's something, you know, I think human trafficking is one of those things. Um, we just had a meeting this morning with our research team and research and policy team. And we were talking about how it's, it's, it's such an easy topic for everybody to get around. Nobody, nobody would say, or a few people, I think, would dare say that they're for child sex trafficking. Yeah. So it's one of those really unifying issues. But I think from a faith perspective, to be able to have hope 
beyond the fact that we, we truly believe this thing can end, but to have hope for these kids beyond what, what they've been through is so important in their healing process. So to believe, for, for our kids to believe and know that there is a God who is for them and and has since even before they were born, known what, was, what they were going to go through and then also know the end of the story in terms mm. of how what he can do to heal their lives, I think is so um important and life-giving in, in an industry or in, in an area that's, that could be so heavy and so easy to lose hope. Yeah, absolutely. Yeah. And then Janelle, you and I go back a little bit further than a couple of years. Yeah. Uh, her family, Janelle's family attended a church I served at in my junior high youth pastor days of, we can't discuss any of those stories. <laughs> and so, uh, so that probably about 25 years yeah. or so. And you have yep. two brothers that were kind of run around church too. And yep, yeah, still do. Yeah, yeah. still do. Um, so that's kind of cool to, to see, you know, kind of just who you were back then and kind of grow and develop and that a person that God has, you know, created you to be and, and you're married and you just had your first child. First right? child. And yep. how old is he? Eight and a half months. Wow. Yeah. So it's not that new yet. Uh, or still. It still feels new. It still Every feels Every morning new. at 6 a.m. Yeah. Oh, <laughs> it's, still, it's still new. <laughs> well, your boss gives you time off whenever you need it, right? Oh, yeah. yeah totally. She's great. Totally. So, so Janelle and I go back a bunch of years. And so kind of what are some of the kind of the duties that you have at Cherish House? Like, what do you do there? Um. Wow. It's hard to. On a day-to-day basis. Yeah. Like, what does a typical day look like? Typical day. Yeah. Um, a lot of working with. The girls, yeah. um, talking to them about how things are going, um, but also talking to the staff and my coworkers and seeing how they're doing, how how are they doing emotionally, or a situation that might have happened, um, how are they dealing with that? How can we make things better? A lot of troubleshooting in that way and checking in with Cassandra with things that I need to do. And, you know, every day is very different. Yeah, you probably have a title of you know, administrator, but that probably, you probably have a lot of duties that kind of go into that umbrella. Yes. And that yes. change that and could change on a daily basis. Yep. And yeah. I think everyone there would say the same thing. You know, we all are a team. And yeah. since you, we were talking earlier, um, we're a smaller team. And so we all kind of work together to make sure things get done. It's pretty much all hands on deck, whatever needs to be done. Yeah. If I can speak for Janelle, since she's not, since she's very <laughs> modest. So Cherish House is a, is a huge, uh, not inter- huge in terms of staffing, the number of staff, but it's a, what we try to accomplish during the course of the day for these kids is quite a lot. So each of our kids gets individual therapy, group therapies. They're learning throughout the course of their day because they live there. Um, they're learning life skills, life skills, from, you know, cooking to how do you manage your own room space, you know, things like that, to homeschooling. So we homeschool the kids. So a good part of their day program is actually being educated. And so managing, and they're with us 24-7. And so keeping them safe, number one, from their predators Mm -hmm. is kind of the first and foremost goal of our, our time with them. But then beyond that, helping these kids again to reclaim their childhoods and have experiences that kids get to have. So that whole program is is a very important, vital program and, and very unique. Mm. And that's a program that, that Janelle oversees, you know, making sure all, all the different parts happen. Okay. Is it strictly girls at this at the house? Yes. Okay. Mm-hmm. And how many girls are in there? Like, what's the max amount of number that could be in there? We can have six six girls at a okay. time. Okay. And that number fluctuates depending on who's with us and uh, just the needs that we have. But, okay. um, yeah, six is the total. Okay, so they get rescued out of human trafficking or exploitation. And then how do they find themselves at a place like Cherish House? How does that 
What does that road look like? So they they usually get recovered by law enforcement. Um, The law enforcement does the hard work of finding the kids and recovering them and taking them out of those situations of danger. Most of our referrals right now come from FBI or from our law enforcement partners. Mm -hmm. We get a fair amount of referrals also from hospitals. So usually the kids, if they've been taken to the hospitals for inpatient psychiatric care, then they come to us. But Cherish House is designed to be able to accept kids on a 24-hour basis. So that if there's a recovery of a kid at like 2 a.m., they can come to Cherish House. We've had kids from all over the state of Illinois as well as outside of the state. One of the unique things about trafficking is, as far as a crime is that because it oftentimes crosses state borders and mm-hmm. state lines, many times these kids are less safe in the places where they were being exploited because the traffickers are there, because they get to, you know, the, the sort of near community gets to know these kids. And so oftentimes for their safety, they're sent out of state. They're safer to be out of state. So they get sent to us, for example. Okay. So say they get there at 2.30 in the morning. You know, that's probably high crisis time. So they get there. What is their mental state? Is there a spirit of trust right away? Or do they look at you as kind of like, what's going on here? How does that, what does that look like? I would say generally they're at a state where they're very fragile fearful, not trusting, because, you know, we're more adults in their life that they don't know, Mm. even though we are, you know, referred to them by people that know us. It's it's a very fearful time for them. So they aren't necessarily open arms hugging us. Sometimes they are. But yeah, there's the underlying trust factor that we have to earn with them. Yeah. Now, uh, leading up to this episode, I've been doing kind of like diving into the human trafficking and, and kids being abducted. And I heard this a couple times on a couple of different podcasts and even read it somewhere. Is it true? Maybe you can tell me the number. Like 800,000 kids are abducted every year from the United States. I've heard that several times. That- I think that there there is a number that's quoted, um, the 600 to 800,000, but it's okay. not just children, but individuals okay, trafficked okay. across the borders. Okay. We don't have good numbers we, about how many children actually are in the United States. One of the closest numbers that we've had that is oftentimes quoted by the Department of Justice is 100,000 children okay. are trafficked in the United States. Most of our children who are trafficked here are American children. Mm-hmm. So when you understand how trafficking looks here in the United States, which, is, which could be different from other places in the world, it's not that hard to understand how many children, many of our children can be very vulnerable, particularly with social media. Mm. So, And you find that in America, social media is like the main avenue that so we have this video that we just created called the path that depicts one of the most common grooming tactics and which grooming being the the way that traffickers or predators kind of get kids ready to be to exploit them and harm them and one of the most common grooming tactics that's used here is a is a relational approach to be able to develop a relationship with the child who's Mm -hmm. vulnerable Um, a very common scenario is kind of like the boyfriend scenario where someone comes up to a child who's very vulnerable or gets to befriends a child who's very vulnerable, whether it's vulnerable by virtue of the fact that she has um, had a history of bullying. A lot of our kids have histories of bullying, so they've been marginalized from their peers or they have been abused, um, sexually abused particularly, mm-hmm. um, prior to being exploited. So they so they present themselves as whatever that child needs, you know, a friend, someone who sees their beauty, all those things that any child and young person needs yeah. protector. Yeah. And so befriends them. And then it turns into something more sort of, you know. Sinister. Sinister, yeah. absolutely. Yeah. 
So, and you find that in the U.S. that's a little different than maybe other countries. How does how does that right. look like in other countries? Is it just like grabbing kids off the streets or what does that look like? Right. So in other countries, and, and part of that, we talk about the system of trafficking and how important it is to understand the culture in which the trafficking is occurring, to understand how trafficking looks. Because in other countries, you could say to a parent, I can, you can, I can take your kid. Let me take your kid across the border to another country. Mm-hmm. She can work as a domestic. She can work in somebody's house. She can make X number of dollars, send them back to you, and then she'll have plenty of money. She'll be okay. And then you'll have money for your family. And that tactic can work a lot more easily then it would it would never work here in the United States. No. None of us would, would give up our children for that or, or believe that. But mm-hmm. it, it can happen in developing countries much more easily like that. The other thing, the other tactic that's used in de- developing countries more commonly than it is here is more of the frank kidnapping. You know, it's it's not a common thing that kidnapping is done, be- and, and in part, largely because we have all these alerts. You know, if a kid gets trapped, kidnapped here, we're all, we, we get those Amber Alerts on yeah. our phones. It's just not as easy to do that. So traffickers, you know, are more more likely to take the path of, path of least resistance. They're not oftentimes, um, they can be organized crime, but they're not, they're more oftentimes what we call opportunistic exploiters. Mm-hmm. People who just, you know, they, they weren't sort of thinking up some grand scheme. It just kind of came up with as it, something that seemed very easy to do, a very yeah. easy way, made a way to make money. Now, you think the problem is getting worse over the years? Because now, I'm in a kind of a, Nicole and I, my wife and I have a weird kind of, not a weird, but just a different situation. So we have like four older kids, like 24, 22, 20, 18. And then we have a surprise fifth child. She's four years old. And so parenting our four-year-old is completely different, just in a lot of different ways. And particularly this topic that we're talking about than it was when I was even 20 years ago, when I was, we were raising those four I, I seem to be a little bit more aware. It's just maybe because I'm aware of it or is the problem getting worse or is it because information is out there so much more that we just know it all more or was it always there and we just didn't know about it? Well, like, yeah, and I would say, so it's one of the fastest growing problems worldwide. Okay. And, and that's probably true also in the United States. So I would say it's a, it, it's, it's definitely growing. And yeah. It, in terms of the you know the social media we mentioned before, social media is a is a very easy way to, for people to make contact with our children mm. in a way that they couldn't have before. You had to be in the same neighborhood, you have to be in the same sort of uh, church or club or something like that to be able to gain access to children. Whereas now you can gain access to anybody really via internet, social media sites. Mm-hmm. So I think that that's easier. I think when we talk about again the system of trafficking, we talk about the cultural factors. In the United States, we're a culture where if you look at our movies that are very popular, they depict protagonists and the sort of main character who's a younger person, you know, a young adult person. Mm-hmm. And so it, we're very much sort of much more steeped in this idea that the um, sort of younger, younger you are, the better. So that and that that maybe have been the case before, but I think certainly that plays into the market, okay. if you will, yeah. for you know what people are looking for in terms of purchasing sex. There are numbers to show us that children are younger and younger when they're first exposed to pornography. And so the average age of children are first introduced to pornography is only eight. Oh wow. So we're talking about very young children and being exposed to something that nowadays, like you were saying, the difference in like 10, 20 years ago. Nowadays, pornography is much more graphic in its depiction. It's also much more violent in in the things that are being depicted. So you put that together with the developmental, you know, a child who's only eight years old, and you think about where children are at developmentally, 
trying to understand what they're seeing on these screens, it's not possible for children to understand, you know, for even the, even the simple levels of that's not really true. That's not probably really what girls want. And mm-hmm. all these all these sort of layers of things that are creating children and a generation of children and young people who just who don't understand a lot of parts of our relationships differently. Yeah. yeah. Is there a um, and Cherish House is exclusively girls you take in for a lot of reasons, obviously. Mm-hmm. Um, is there a breakdown between girls who are abducted or you know exploited or in boys i mean is there a, is there a is, is there numbers that you can kind of see i i've not read any good like hard and fast statistics mm-hmm. to this but we do you know there are there are boys being trafficked yeah, we've yeah. had we've worked with boys in our mentor program who have been trafficked it tends to look differently but i, I don't know that i could speak exactly to how that would look but it yeah. tends to look different and again it all has to do with and i i hate this term with this with when we're talking about children but it really does have to do with the market and what what people want. Yeah. So do you find like law enforcement coming off that thought, if they target the market in a better way, like in certain areas, do you find that the trafficking goes down in those areas? If they're really, they are proactive in, in kind of eliminating the market or trafficking uh, incidents down in those areas? Do you find that to be true? Yeah. So the, um, in fact, the, there are a couple different things. The um, Cook County Sheriff's Police lead a, a national John suppression initiative, which is now a national initiative okay. where they actually go after the people who are purchasing. They, they pose as um, people Yeah. so they can find other people who are purchasing sex. And, you know, in the cities it tends to be easier to traffic people just because it's, it's a larger, more dense population. Yeah. But we have cases of children who are being exploited all over in different suburbs, including suburban suburbs, as well as more rural environments where it's not easy to find them. Yeah. Uh, Give me a typical, uh, if there even is one, and that's what I'm wondering. Is there a typical family that kids come out of? Is there a fit? Is it or is it maybe kids in crisis or is it like what is like some of the like basic things you see over and over and over again with a, a girl that? kind of runs through Cherish House. Is there is there a pattern? Yeah, that's a great question. And when one of the vulnerability factors we always talk about is a is family difficulties where these children actually end up running from. Okay. But I will tell you that over the time that we started we we worked with kids and we started talking with some of the parents and and with my background as a family therapist, yes, there is there are problems in the parent-child relationship oftentimes. Mm-hmm which leads to the conflict that leads the child to then run to be more vulnerable to exploitation. But even having said that, and I have, a, I have just a ton of compassion for parents and how hard it is to parent children nowadays. So I, I, I will say that I think that there's a, a combination of a lot of factors, including the fact that um, exploiters are much more um, bold in sort of ex- finding children to groom. And so Whereas, you know, you would have maybe a dysfunctional family environment and you wouldn't have had the same sort of pull to be drawn into trafficking mm-hmm. 10, 20 years ago. Now you have the combination of, uh, you know, family conflict at a point in a child's development when that's pretty normal. And then you have somebody who comes into your school environment and befriends you and tells you that they've got a great answer, mm-hmm. which happens to be trafficking yeah. for you. So it it's, I think, a combination of all those different okay. factors. So, I mean, drugs, alcohol within the family are those are those mm-hmm. kind of factors too. Do you see every once in a while, or probably absolutely. There's a there's a study called Aces, and it's called the Adverse Childhood Experiences Scale, and it looks at the different sort of 
problematic things that can happen in children's lives, including abuse and parental substance abuse, divorce, all these different factors. And all of our children have a lot of those things, problematic childhood factors in their lives. The number one factor that seems to be the greatest, uh, create the greatest vulnerability for trafficking is sexual abuse. Okay. So many of our kids have histories of either rape or sexual abuse in their backgrounds when they were much younger okay. that make them um, very vulnerable for trafficking. For but saying all that, you might see a kid coming out of a really great family. I mean, like maybe even a church-going family. They're there every day or every week, you know, just kind of doing it. That happens to them also. That's right. Okay. We had a, we have, if you look on our website, um, there's a video of a girl who, a young a woman who tells her story of having been trafficked in Illinois. And she tells the, she tells the audience that she was a part of a church. She used to be, I think she sang in the church choir. She was a great student. In fact, she tells a story. She told me once she loved going to the library, the school library, mm. um, because the librarian was nice to her and meant a lot to her. She never told the librarian what was going on, but this was all going on during that whole period in her mm-hmm. life. So, yes. Okay. So here at the Move the Beans podcast, we, we talk about ordinary habits that have extraordinary results. And when I, when I think about the, you know, the topic that we're discussing today, ordinary habits that you and your staff do on a daily basis can not only have extraordinary results, but really results that are miracles, really, in the lives of individuals. So this is why uh, if you're listening to, for the first time to the Move the Beans podcast, and this is your only one, that's fine. This is the most important one you're listening to. That's great because we want you to be informed and we want you to know that there's going to be an action step near the end of this podcast that we all can take uh, to make a difference in the lives of of children all over the world. So especially here in Illinois and in, in the United States. So kind of give me some habits that you guys do. And Janelle, I'm going to put you on the spot here because you've been, you've been. I've been past, ushering yeah. them to Cassandra. Yeah. <laughs> So uh, what are some habits that you do on a daily basis that, you know, you see extraordinary results in the lives of kids that need miracles? I mean, this is, you know, when I have other guests on, we're talking about like either like MMA fighting or we, you know, we do like other like baseball training and all that's great. Habits are good. Discipline is good in our life. But when we're talking about this, this is like something that you can implement in your life that has an impact on someone that could change, literally change the very course of their life. So so hit us with some habits. Okay. Well, there's a couple that I kind of thought through ahead of time. Um, well, that's good. So, <laughs> yeah. One of, the things, one of the things for myself, and I know a couple other people do as well, is to start your day out right. And so it sounds like a simple thing, and it's probably different for everybody. Yeah. But for um, myself, it's my drive on the way to work is important. It's quiet. I have time to think about what the day is going to be like, maybe, because you can't plan for everything. But I listen to a certain radio program that's feeding me truth, and it's feeding me Bible verses, and it's feeding me things that I can, you know, go back to throughout the day. And when I do have the opportunity to talk with one of our girls, I have something on my mind that I can feed to them. Okay. So it's important I, for myself, and I know for um, a couple other people I've talked with, is just what you put in your mind is important. And um, these girls that we work with, they have a lot of junk in their mind, either forced 
in their mind or just, you know, music that you listen to is important. Even if you say you don't listen to the words, I'm <laughs> I'm a huge advocate for listening to things that are going to build you up. Yeah. Um, and so that's one of the things I've incorporated into my life before even working at Reclaim 13, just because I know it's so important for myself to have myself in a good place because we are going to be dealing with heavy things. Yeah. And so you have to be prepared. And so the best way I can be prepared is by doing that. So you're really preparing yourself. And this sounds maybe over, overly dramatic, but it's I don't think it is. You're actually preparing yourself for maybe the battle of the day. Right. Because you're dealing, now we're all believers in Christ. We have faith in Christ. And so we believe that there's a, a physical realm, but also there's a spiritual realm. And so yes. you're walking into a real battle for these girls' lives. Mm-hmm. And so you want to be prepared. And so one of the ways that you have do that is you have the habit of just preparing yourself yes mentally spiritually to get on the right track so yes. i think that's awesome so yeah. you listen to certain music mm-hmm. certain you know you read the bible you meditate on those things yes and so that brings you into a place where you can lead the girls that you have an opportunity to make contact with in that right. direction right and you know we might be the only example of christ to these girls that they ever see. I mean, that's kind of a big thing to say, but it's possible. Yeah. And so I want to be in a place where, and I'm not perfect. A a lot of our, what do we call four values, it's strive to be. We strive to be compassionate and we strive to act on the behalf of the exploited and abused. And so that's what we have to do is we strive every day to be a better version of ourselves and do the best that we can. Yeah. I I think that's, I think that's everyone, though, in every yeah. area of life. I mean, we should be, especially if you if you call yourself a Christ follower. I think there's like, over the last couple of years, I think there's, there's, especially in the Chicagoland area, there's like some churches blowing up. And mm-hmm. I think people were starting to see maybe even behind the those walls of those churches, they weren't striving to be the best version mm-hmm. of themselves. And I think we see that. Uh, the good news is that the gospel doesn't change. The right. gospel still changes people. And we could all strive to point our way towards that gospel and who Christ is. So there's always hope. No always. one's perfect. Yep. Um, but so you do those little habits to kind of get yourself back on track and kind of set your mind right. So that that's awesome. Yeah. Now, what else? What else have you got? Um, I see you looking at your phone. You got I notes. Am. I I have to have notes. I get really nervous. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> um, I think prayer is really important. Yeah. Um, we do offer a time in the morning for our girls to be a part of devotions and prayer. It's not something that we force anyone to do, but do it's they, an opportunity. Do they take it? Yeah. They okay. usually do. Okay, good. That's awesome. And so it's an opportunity for them to pray for each other, pray for their day, learn what prayer is. And so, and I try to do that for it's a heavy responsibility to be working in this field. And so praying for the people that I work with and the girls specifically is really, really important. Yeah. Um, it brings to mind, you know, all of us come in with our own baggage and our own things that are going on in our lives. And so being able to bring that before God, that's the best way yeah. to do anything. Yeah. So is that like the switch that you turn up because you have an eight and a half month old? Oh, yeah. And so like you're, you know, you, you probably maybe are driving in with three hours of sleep and, you mm-hmm. know, for an old guy like me, I can get, I can get away with three hours of sleep. I don't need sleep anymore. So like, I heard that's a thing. Yeah. It's, it's not for me. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> I, I actually love it. I love like waking up early and. Oh my gosh. But I, I kind of go to bed every, most of the time I go to bed pretty early. So you're driving in sometimes you're tired, mm-hmm. but you have to be like this superwoman to like six girls at some point and a staff. And so you find that just 
recalibrating your mind and prayer does that for you. Yes. Yeah. And honestly, usually it's in the middle of the night when I am getting up with Levi that that's when it I pray more is yeah. because, you know, it's I have the peace at that point in time to yeah. be thinking through things. But yeah, during the day when things are hectic and again, I'm not perfect, but um, when things are going on, it's like in the back of my mind, I'm praying through it. Just Lord, help me, help yeah. me. Give me the words to say and the words not to say. That's what I usually pray. I think I know the answer to this and maybe both of you can give me a one word answer. This is not a an endeavor for life that you kind of just shut off at five o'clock. You think about no. it constantly. Yeah. 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 That, that's obvious. Yeah. And so you have to be healthy, body, soul, mind, spirit, to kind of do what you guys do, or it just doesn't work. Absolutely. You can't yeah. go in, you it's can't go into that. Striving. Yeah, you you can't go into that cherish house with just a mess and baggage upon baggage upon baggage. You just can't do that and be the person that you need to be in that position. Yeah. Okay. So here's a question I had before, and you either one can answer that, or maybe both can answer it. So the gospel obviously is clear that we should be with the victim of these things. And this is how your organization is set up. What about the flip side to the gospel? It says the gospel is also there for the victimizer, the person who's doing the activity. And that's where Christianity and our faith gets really messy because just me saying that right now, and people were geared toward these girls and helping these girls. And, oh man, these two ladies are helping these girls. That's awesome. And now, damn, why would you even say that? But that's the gospel commands us to do that. So obviously you guys don't get into that end of it, but what is your thoughts behind that? And then does it impact how you kind of do your daily ministry that you do with these girls? That's kind of a tough one. Yeah. So uh, one of the principles that we we teach our staff as far as how to interact with the girls is that we don't ever speak negatively. We're not, well, we don't take the leadership, let me put it that way, yeah. in speaking negatively about the person who was exploiting them. And the reason why we don't do that from a trauma-informed perspective is because these kids have come to see this. They have, they have very conflicting feelings about this person. This, this person, in large part, has become their boyfriend, their protector, and you know all these other positive things, in mm-hmm. addition to the other parts, the negative parts. So we never lead the conversation with that. Having said that, though, we just give them opportunity to talk about all their different feelings and then help them sort through them. But as you said, it is it is our mandate to be able to love the perpetrators. And in our work, there is um, there are times when we work with kids who have been part of the exploiting process. They have been told that they have to be a part of bringing other kids into trafficking. So okay. they, they become what we call recruiters. So they have to become a part of that. So they have a lot of guilt about having been a part of bringing other mm. kids into this very same thing that was hurting them. And so it, it's not quite as sort of uh, clear oftentimes from as victim and victimizer, like you said, but by and large, our kids, as you give them the opportunity to talk about that, as they are filled with the love that our staff do such a beautiful job of pouring into them and healing, they they oftentimes get to this place where although they want they might want their perpetrator to get convicted or, you know, some some sort of consequence, 
I can't tell you how many girls have talked to me about wanting to be able to get to a place where I can forgive him. Mm. And it's a beautiful thing for, for, you know, to hear out of the mouth of someone who has been so harmed by this other person, for them to have a heart then to pray for that person, to want to be able to want to forgive them, to want to go into court to face them. Um, I just had a conversation recently with one of our girls who is just really newly to newly come to Cherish House and newly recovered out of her experiences. And she said to me, she wants to go to court and she wants to be able to face him. She hopes he gets jail time, but she also wants to be able to forgive him because she wants to be able to move on. Mm. And I, I can't think of a more beautiful example of healing, yeah. or more whole healing. How old is that girl? She's only 15. Wow. Mm-hmm. Yeah, that's that's unbelievable. To know that the power of forgiveness is going to be the thing that moves her and makes her progress in life to be healthy and whole. Moves her, yes. Yeah, and I, I think that's a life lesson for everybody because I think there's so many people walking around with just unforgiven bitterness, and it really destroys their lives. Mm-hmm. And if she understands that as a 15-year-old. Right, absolutely. Yeah, even though her life obviously was horrific to this point and what's been happening, but um, that's a great first step, absolutely, yeah. Uh, so, Cassandra, what are some of your habits that you bring as a founder, the director of Reclaim 13? I'm sure there's just thousands of thousands. Thousands, like one. Yeah. <laughs> Maybe like one. One. <laughs> I'm just trying to think of that. <laughs> and Janelle took it already. Yeah. Um, well, you could have the same so, habit, too. Yeah, yeah. It, it is really the same habit. It's it's true. I think um, another conversation that we have with the kids oftentimes is they come to us and they don't have a lot of hope. Mm-hmm. And so a conversation as a therapist that I'll have is is that um, until you have hope, then we'll hold on to the hope for you. And what that means is that we see the hope. We see beyond the horizon. And that's, you know, what you have to do to be able to help give hope to these kids. And so I think what Janelle said is is super important to be able to start your day out and remember why we're doing what we're doing. For most of us, it's more than just it's, it's not a job. Mm. It's a calling. Yeah. And so it is something that you— are responsible to the kids, putting yourself in the right frame of mind to be able to help them see the path forward into hope. I also, I feel a responsibility for our staff too, because I we have this beautiful, what we call a community. You know, Reclaim 13, I think is, it, to me, is, is not an organization, it's a community. It's a community of people who we strive to be a loving community to one another, because that's really the thing that's going to help our staff do the best work that they can do. Yeah. And that's not the reason, but that certainly is an outgrowth of having a community of support to be able to help our staff and our community to be able to weather some of the storms with these kids. So that means that having being able to connect with the one who gives us that hope, which is God in the morning, first thing, and being able to remind myself if there, if there, if there are moments where there are personal struggles that I'm having, that this is why I'm doing what I'm doing helps just it helps everything in the day flow yeah I, and i love what you said you hold on to their hope until they're able to grab it that is that's, right. that's when you said it it just opened up the whole idea of what you do you're just holding hope for these girls until they were able to get healthy enough where they can live with that hope and carry it themselves right. pretty powerful that's pretty powerful obviously you you guys are human obviously you're not super super women <laughs> yes superhuman no. you're just no. You're, you're uh, humans. And so there's moments where you're just like, do you ever get like caught up in despair? I mean, do you ever get caught up in those moments where you're just like, am I making a difference in the last seven years? And, you know, like you just come across a situation where you're just like overwhelmed with sadness, despair. You, you see it on a daily basis or you see it, have you seen it once? You know, kind of take me through that. 
I'm not saying lose yeah. hope. I'm not saying yeah. lose hope. I'm just saying like I think there wow. are definitely moments. Yeah. Yeah, I think especially, particularly on the other end after Cherish House or even I think during Cherish House probably when we've had to let kids go. But on the other end, I can speak to on the other end, when when kids leave Cherish House, which is one of the things that we're endeavoring to do right now is to be able to open up a transitional program, a Mm -hmm. program for kids after Cherish House. We don't have that open yet. And so... As a result, our kids, we're, we, you know, we're, we're all trying the best to be able to let them connect with different places where they can get the next level of support that they need. But it doesn't always work out. And seeing kids struggle after they've, you know, that's that's really hard. It's yeah. hard to see that. And and again, it's it's a matter of reminding myself and reminding ourselves that um, that God had a plan. God knew that this was going to happen before he, you know, before this child's life even began. Mm. But it is hard. It's hard to see. It's hard to see suffering in the world. On the flip side, I, I feel like God has given us a really unique opportunity to be able to be a part of the solution, to be a part of the good part of mm-hmm. the story, which is which is a super humbling blessing. So it's it's hard to be in the world, but not of the world, mm-hmm. to see the pain and suffering in the world, and to be able to impact some of it. And then the rest of it, we just have to trust that those are seeds that God will use later on in that child's life. Yeah. So the flip side of that, what is your, and probably pretty obvious, but maybe give me more of a, of a personal story with one of the girls, like, what's your greatest joy? Like you walk out of there, smiles, like you just smiled now. And just like from ear to ear, and you're like, this is why we're doing this. This is why we're putting in the tough hours and we're sacrificing in our lives and stuff. What's the greatest joy that Janelle gets? I love the daily interactions that I have, because sometimes it, you know, when you have six girls in one place, it's kind of a lot of, (laughs) it's a lot of women. And then you, and then all of our staff are women. So, um, so there will be times when, you know, there's, there's fights going on, you know, disagreements, that kind of thing. And so to see, uh, this just happened this last week, you know, feuds that, in my mind, the day of, you're like, oh, are these girls ever going to get along? And yeah. and there's so much good that can come from even these small interactions. The small interactions build on each other to, you know, kind of like building habits, what we're talking about here. Yeah. That helps them in their life beyond us. And so when I see things that are going on, if they're having, you know, disagreements, when they come together and they make amends and— they might have never done anything like that. Put themselves on the line and say, like, I'm sorry, I apologize, and I want to make this better. Yeah. That it brings me a lot of joy because, yeah. I mean, there's a lot of adults that can't do that. And so expecting <laughs> that from girls who have come from such awful circumstances and to see them making amends and then the next time making amends again. and Quicker, maybe. Yeah. Too. Yeah. And to see those daily things happen, because i that's what I more so see, you know, the daily things that happen is amazing. Yeah. So it's its not necessarily kind of like what we're talking about in this podcast. It's right. not the big moments. Right. It's the little things that pile on top of each other and top of exactly. each other. Exactly. That's going to make their recovery even greater. Yes. Yeah. That it builds towards their success. Absolutely. So how long is their their uh, season at Cherish House? Like, how long are they there for? Um, every, every girl is different. Um, it could be as short as three months. It could be as long as a year and a half. It, it really, it's case by case. Okay. So it's, it's just watching their progress and see if they're able to go back home. Do they, do they go back? So like, these are teenage girls. Yes. And so you put them back into their home. 
Is that like the goal? That's, it's a good question. So, um, thank you. <laughs> <laughs> That's why I do the podcast. I'm really good, good with answer. questions. Yeah. <laughs> um, so most of them want to return to their family at some level. Okay. But as we talked about earlier, sometimes that family is not necessarily the best place to return to. So our goal really with our kids in the time that we have with them is to expand their community of support. Okay. So they, so oftentimes they do go back to their families. Sometimes they go on to um, other transitional programs, but by and large, they go back to family. We just started working with DCFS. Okay. So the kids in, in that situation might stay with us longer okay. until they're 18. Okay. So uh, I'll throw this question at you too, uh, that Janelle just answered. What's, what's your greatest story? Because you're probably at a directorship, you're probably looking at more like a 30,000 scope view of it. Not maybe, are you into the day-to-day stuff like Janelle is? Or are you more kind of overseeing everything? So what is your joy look a little bit different than what she sees? So I think that two things. I mean, from from the standpoint of the kids that we get to serve, we've had kids who have graduated from high school, which we've had kids who have just, Janelle said, you know, what she said is probably the most important. It's, it's oftentimes we've had kids, you know, we can, we can point to the things people oftentimes ask us, what are, what is success and have we, what success have we, you know, accomplished? And yeah. certainly you can point to the, the tangible things like graduating from high school or, you know, um, being able to handle your anger in a different ways some therapeutic goals perhaps or, yeah. or achieving a life skill type of thing. To me, the bigger success points are when kids can, when one of our kids that I think about who um, was with us for just over a year, she came to us as a 17-year-old and basically said, I don't trust y'all. I'm never going to trust you. And she had she she had every reason not to trust anybody because since the age of nine, she had been homeless oh, wow. and trafficked and again and again exploited and harmed and homeless. And so she had every reason to not trust anybody um, given her history. And yet over the course of that year, she was able to, at the end of that year, when she graduated from Cherish House and went on to another program, she she was able to say, I, I get it. I, she said, I really do. I said, I used to say, I never trust you guys, mm. but I do trust you and I love you. And I know, I believe that you guys are now my family. And so that there's nothing that can capture that to, yeah. to be able to know that you've you know a, a child has begun to hope again in, in humanity in adulthood actually mm. in adults relationships but beyond that i think to me that one of the greater joys that i have perhaps from an organizational standpoint is that community is being able to see people who are either our staff or our volunteers be able to find healing for themselves to be able to find community for themselves um, is is really, I think, I'm told is a unique thing, and I think it's a beautiful thing that we have. Yeah, absolutely. So it's, I mean, you see the the bigger picture of not only the girls that you're ministering to, but you see the gospel and, and Christ working through the staff also. Absolutely. Yeah, and so you see it all all kind of from beginning all the way to end yeah. a little bit. So are you in the day to day? Like, so you're a, you're a counselor, a mm-hmm. therapist. Mm-hmm. So are you? interacting with the girls on a daily basis or do you get to do that still or is it, you just got so I much do. Okay. Oh, wow. not, not daily okay. basis but okay. tw- about a couple of times a week so you're, you're in there kind of so mm-hmm. you get to get to know the girls and kind of ma- them. yeah okay good <laughs> that's awesome so does that and that's really your passion right I mean like yeah. when you started this did you know like everything you needed to know that this is going to be like I'm running an organization like no, it's I PR didn't. it's being on stupid <laughs> no podcasts desire to yeah. Do that. Yeah. 
Always wanted to be on a podcast. Oh, yeah. Well, <laughs> there you go. You can mark this off. Yep. Yeah. <laughs> no, never had a desire for an organization. I used to, um, when I learned about trafficking, I used to drive in Chicago where, where I heard the kids, the homeless kids would run to. And I would drive my car and look for these kids and go up mm. and down the streets. And I would do that today if I, you know, had time to do that. Yeah, yeah. But no, my... Um, I'm aware daily what drives what you know in terms of what drives me. I I'm aware on a daily basis that there are kids still out there. I used to pray that you know God, you you have the GPS. You know exactly where these kids are. Just point us to point these us kids. There, we'll yeah. go get them. Yeah, um, I know you just to kind of switch gears a little bit. You guys just had your big annual gala, right? Mm-hmm. So yeah, for people obviously who didn't know about your organization. And then specifically the gala. Explain what happens on a yearly basis with that. So is you've had it every year so far? We this was our fifth annual. Fifth so okay. we started in twenty fifteen okay. with our first gala. And um the purpose of that was really to let a broader audience know what we're doing and, and really to be, be able to celebrate. It's such a heavy topic. So to have an event every year, which is our, our major fundraising event, but it's okay. also really a celebratory event yeah. to be able to say, looking back, look at these are the great things that, that God has been able to do is what the focus is. So our gala this year, um, we I think our first gala, if I remember right, was about 320 people. So this year's gala grew to 600 people oh, or wow. 600 attendees. Okay. okay. And so would this primary, this be your primary way to raise funds for the year's mm-hmm. annual budget? Okay. Mm-hmm. So what percentage do you take in? So we raised this year um, just over $600,000. Oh, wow. Okay. Which is a huge. Yeah, that's. Huge. We're very blessed. Yes. Yeah, that's awesome. And so as far as like an operating budget, what does it look like to run Cherish House, pay salaries, do all that? I mean, do you even have not had that number? Cherish House is a good part of our budget. It's yeah. probably close to that, what we just raised in our gala wow, okay. because of the staffing costs. And we try to do a lot of things for the kids. Yeah. So it's a very large part of our budget. So that's that that event is pretty crucial to everything that you do. Yeah, it's yeah. very, very crucial. So then how, okay, so you've been an organization for seven years, you started doing that for five years. What happened the first two years? I mean, like, how are you getting funding? Or has it, it just gotten bigger and bigger and bigger, obviously? Yeah, so these are the great organizational questions that yeah. I, I'll that try you, to answer for you. you but <laughs> but um, you know, we say this and it's just the truth. And so which is hard, why it's hard for me to answer these questions, but it, what, everything that has happened through and with Reclaim 13 has been a God story. Many God stories actually put together, but so the first two years we have always wanted to open the home and be able to have a safe place for kids, um, but we were never even even close to being able to have what we wanted to have was two years of our operational expenses in the bank before we opened Cherish House. So yeah. we wouldn't. Probably my worst nightmare would be to start something and then not be able to continue that continue, for our kids. Yeah, we yeah. talk about forever community. We want to have that for our kids and for our staff, and so. So we were not even close to that. We had our first gala, and literally overnight through that gala and the, the weeks after that, we, we raised enough money to be able to open the house. Oh, wow. A family who I, I come to know um, said that they wanted to donate their house for use of Cherish oh, wow. House. Churches and organizations, in large part our church partners, our church coalition, came together and had showers for us so that we were able to open the house fully furnished within uh, under two months of that first gala. And so the house that you're doing this in was donated to you? Mm -hmm. Yeah. Wow. It was donated for us to use, and their heart was— Really, to be able to have a home for girls, and it's on like a regular residential street, and it's it's not. Well, it's, you can speak, but yeah, not disclosed. It's not disclosed, but <laughs> yeah. it's, I would say it's not a regular. Yeah, it's not street. that regular. Okay, no. okay. 
So it's kind of off the beaten path a little bit, but it's still yeah. a regular home. Yeah. Kind of. Oh, it's very homey. Yeah. I mean, it, homey. yeah, okay. I, I don't know how else to explain it, but it's very comfortable. It's very okay. warm and inviting and just beautiful. Yeah. Yeah. And so when the girls walk into this place, it's probably like no other home they've ever called home before. For the most part, a lot of them. Yeah, I would say. On so many levels. Yeah. 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 Okay. That's very cool. Okay. So, and and I asked you that question on purpose because when you're doing this type of work, to have any kind of, we call it success. I don't like that word a lot because, you know, that's why I kind of said, what's your greatest joy? Because I think to kind of gauge joy is a a lot easier for me to see what what God is doing. I think because it's a God thing, like you said. And so, obviously, when you're doing this type of work, you're not making anything. You're not selling anything. You're not going to have a bottom line where you're you're making money. So you need donations and you kind of need stuff. Um, you need people to contribute in that financial way or to donate time and resources or whatever to help this thing move forwards. But I always find it interesting to see organizations or churches that kind of start out really simple and just with this passion and drive and faith in God and to kind of see him move even at the beginning stages to kind of where it develops into something extraordinary. Um, so that's why I asked you that question because uh, I knew that there was because you just don't get from point A to where you guys are now without God doing a really awesome work in the hearts and lives of people. I mean, donating a house, I didn't know that. And so that yeah. that kind of, that that's mind blowing sometimes. Yeah. So what do you see yourself, projects, endeavors, road, like what do you, what do you see Reclaim 13 in year 14, you know? Or in year 20, where, where do you kind of see that vision casting for your organization or your community, I should say? Yeah, so yeah. We, we talk about this forever community, and that comes out of the experience that I had had earlier in, in other places where I worked where, you you know, you get this funding and you start this program, and that's a great program, and then it, the funding's going going away, and, it's, and then the program has to disappear. And to me, um, when we talk about forever community, that's, that's probably the most important thing from an organizational standpoint that we are— working towards to be able to create a community where our, the the blessings can continue for our kids. We feel like we've made a commitment to them at the beginning of their healing process. Yeah. And trauma doesn't just, you know, you don't just heal from trauma in a year, two years, three years, even trauma's trauma healing is a lifelong process. And so to be able to create structures, which include our transitional program that we're working very hard to open as a part of that forever community vision, but to be able to create all of these things so that kids who are so vulnerable, marginalized, oftentimes isolated and alienated from family and community, um, to be able to have create that community for them is is the, the big picture. Yeah. So do you ever have um, stories of extraordinary results where uh, a girl graduates from the house or she moves on but uh, comes back and maybe works there or will work there or maybe you know just kind of comes for a moment where they teach or kind of share their story like any of those kind of success stories we don't have those yet only because we're, we're fairly young the house yeah. is still only just what three years over three years old oh, okay okay yeah. so we're, we're not quite to that point but we do have a lot of girls who say that they want to come back and do you know yes, one of our many offers many offers do, do they? <laughs> okay. i want to be a I want to work here. Yes. They yeah, may have all sorts definitely. of brilliant ideas that they want to implement yes. their staff. Yeah. <laughs> Is any of them like food, different food or anything? <laughs> oh, we hear. Yeah. 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 You, On occasion. Food choices. Do, you hear, do you hear like, like just minor things like food? I'll make food choices. Do you hear that? Or they're, they're pretty well fed. So I don't yeah. think it's more, more food. It's more just like, what are the things that they come up with? 
What's the real like insignificant stuff? Like really? <laughs> you know how like any teenager has brilliant ideas, but how pe- parents can parent better. This is kind of oh, like yeah. the <laughs> yeah. So they tell you how to parent better, pretty much. Yeah, on occasion. Yeah, they do <laughs> yeah. that. That's hilarious. Yeah, they, they're really. I've, I've learned so much. Yes. <laughs> <laughs> they created a petition recently because they want to go to oh, uh, Great America. Yes. So they have a petition going around the house. To- yeah, I said create a petition, and then they did, and I was like, oh. <laughs> See that was that was inexperienced parent move right no, there. I know. I, I'm learning. So you could, an experienced parent just go like this. No. Great America's evil. We're not going. Just shut it down right yeah. away. Um, my children did not grow up going to Great America because I hate Great America. Oh. Yeah. So. See, I love it. Oh really? But... Okay. So are you, are you going to take a Great America trip? <laughs> time signed... has time has pretty much run out. I think it closes well, in like it clo- I mean, a week. But, but I think it opens up again. I mean, eventually. See, shh. Oh, okay. <laughs> Okay, gotcha. Wow. Okay. I was going to say, like, let's raise some money for a great America oh trip. God. Yeah, let's do this. Okay. So so they're typical kids. It's kind of fun, though. Mm-hmm. Oh, yeah. Yeah. So they're like, they are they have weird things that they want to see happen. You know. They have a birthday party we have twice a year. I think okay. we do it more often. But we used to have a birthday party twice a year. They get a dress up. We have about, I don't know how many gowns. I don't know. Probably at least... I was going to say 50, but maybe 50 at least. 50 or more. 50 really? or more. Beautiful evening gowns. Yeah. That people have donated that the girls go through this and they get dressed up, they get made up. and So that's twice a year? A birthday party for the whole house. Oh, for the whole house. Mm-hmm. Okay. Celebration, okay. yeah. Okay. And so is it like special food that night or whatever? Yeah. They usually pick what kind of food, theme, yeah. you know, a party theme. What's the, what's a typical theme? I think this, this coming up is 90s. Is it 90s? Yeah, it's like 90s theme. Really? We had like, like. Um, like a Hollywood theme. <laughs> oh, yeah, we did have the Hollywood. A square with their name on it. Oh, okay. Which was and the was... backdrop. Do they have it like food requests for that night? or they, they usually have food requests. And yeah. honestly, they all, most of them can cook very, very well is what I've found. Really? I am not a great cook, so no. it's usually a great night for me. Um, <laughs> but yeah, they usually have things well, that awesome. they want. Yeah. Well, it's, it's kind of good to hear that they're just normal girls, you know, obviously with a lot of stuff going on, but it sounds like they have a sense of entitlement. They're already right back to that. <laughs> <Yes>. <laughs> um, and that they have wants and needs that necessarily yes. they don't really want or, or they don't need. <laughs> yeah. Um, yeah. Yeah. So, I mean, that's, that's kind of awesome. Yeah. That's kind of awesome. Yeah. Cause you, you, I pictured in my head of just like them being so fragile that oh. they would, wouldn't talk, wouldn't want to have fun. And it's really encouraging that they're kind of just normal girls and they like getting dressed yeah. up and they like having things that they want to do. And they sign petitions, which I think is awesome because yeah. you told them to do that. <laughs> <laughs> That's hilarious. Okay. So, well, um, uh, thanks so much for being here. I think our time was really informative. And I think for, for especially the move the beans podcast listeners, if you're like a regular listener that I think life can get really busy and we don't understand really what's going on in the world. This is going on in the world. And I think this is an organization a community, I love that, that holds the hope for these girls until they're able to carry them themselves. I, I love that that whole idea and that word picture that really gives me in my mind. So whether you, you attend a church service that this kind of podcast is connected to, or you listen to this podcast, here's the one thing that you will never hear with either a service or this podcast. Um, like, hey, donate money to uh, keep this podcast going or give to the mission of the church. We don't really talk about that. But I'm going to kind of veer from that rule that I have because for a really important reason, this is what I want you to do. If you are listening 
to the Move the Beans podcast. And if you are a frequent listener, a faithful listener, I appreciate that. Um, but this is what I want you to do. I want you to go to reclaim13.org. Really cool website. They have a bunch of videos. That video that you were talking about, I just watched that last night. And you could watch the videos. You can read about their organization. You can look at pictures. But really what I want you to do is in the right-hand corner, there's a little button that's orange. It says donate. And you hit that button and it's pretty easy. I did it and I'm 52. I can navigate that. (laughs) And so you can donate to this organization. And I was telling the ladies before the podcast, before we start recording, our, my podcast platform gives me uh, kind of demographics, gives me, gives me numbers. And I'm just saying if, if everyone that's listening to this podcast today would go on to that webpage, reclaim13.org, hit the donate button and kind of work your way through that page. They give you specific dollar amounts and what that could really look like in the life of Cherish House and this organization. Nothing crazy, very simple. Um, but if everyone listening to this simple little podcast would do that, we can make a real big difference in the life of this organization that is creating miracles and holding hope for these girls that really need hope. And so that's what I'm asking you to do. You've never heard that before. If you know, you've been hanging out at our services for the last 10 years, you've never really heard that. The podcast for the last 12 episodes, you have not heard that. It's like, hey, donate to keep this podcast going. This podcast will keep going because it's pretty simple. My buddy Paul does the editing. Kudos to Paul. He does it all for free. God is kind of moving in this area. So what I'm asking you to do in a really persuasive way is to go to reclaim13.org and be a part of the mission of helping girls regain their hope. And I think that's something really simple that we all can do. In the meantime, when you do that, as we continue to live our lives, be uh, living your lives with a little bit more information that there's stuff going on in the world that are dirty and dark and that things that we don't like to talk about, but you can make a difference into bringing hope into someone's life. And so just understand that. Watch over your kids. Give them a special extra hug and kiss today because that's really important that they know that they're loved in their home so they don't go out and look for that love and acceptance somewhere else. And I think um, I think we're all will be in a better place and we'll live in a better world if we're all just really mindful of it. Most importantly, I think, and what they kind of explained Uh, the habit of just being connected to God and daily doing that in prayer. Most of all, I think what we find in hope, as we talk about hope, hope comes in the person of Jesus Christ. And so if you are veering over the line of faith and going and wondering, what is this relationship with Christ all about? Is it a bunch of rules and regulations? It is not a bunch of rules and regulations. It is you coming to faith in Christ and what he did for you, dying on the cross, rising again, giving you hope for this life and then life eternal. I think that's where our hope begins. And then once you have that hope inside you, you can begin to live that hope out and impact others with that same hope. And so we just heard a whole community of people, Reclaim 13, doing that on a daily basis. And that is really awesome. So uh, thank you so much for listening. And you have homework, go to reclaim13.org and donate. You know you can do it. So until next time, praying that you uh, move the beans in all areas of life. And uh, we hope that you have a great day. See you later. Bye-bye.